the Many Things Podcast. Um, welcome to the show. We're joined by long-term guest, Mr. T Hawks. Right, thank mate. you, thank you. Hello, hello. You are joining us from Marseille today, aren't you? That's where I currently am. That's where I currently am. Very windy Marseille, but yeah, that's where I am. What to be expected of a port city and all, get those strong winds off the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, it's very relevant you're joining us from Marseille today because this episode's topic is about the quality of life in Britain. Now, a little bit of context. <laughs> we're, the, we're the sixth wealthiest nation on earth. Yet, so I'm just reading this article from the Joseph Roundtree Foundation, which is a charity that specializes in UK-based poverty. And it says here, in 2020, around one in five people in the UK were in poverty, or 13.4 million people. Of these, 8 million were working age adults, and more worryingly, 3.9 million were children. Therefore, one in four children in the UK are living in poverty. What do you think of that? I think that's pretty, pretty stunning, to be honest. I think, I mean, well, we need we need a good definition of poverty because from what I've seen in the UK, that is not strictly the case. But uh, have we got a definition of poverty? I think it's uh, right. Let me find out. Yeah, let's cut and get a uh, definition of poverty. Okay, here we go. Action. How does JRF, the charity we mentioned, define poverty? Poverty means not being able to heat your home, pay your rent or buy the essentials for your children. It means waking up every day facing insecurity, uncertainty and impossible decisions about money. That's why you can relate to that a little bit, because what were you telling me last winter? You and Charlie, your ethos was um, heat or eat. Yeah, we, we chose eating, not heating. Well, that was, I mean, that was semi a joke. I mean, but yeah, we didn't use barely any heating and it did get cold. Plus, we've got like, I've got a bloody damp problem in my room. So I get, if I have the windows closed and no heating on, then I get like mold on the walls and then I get a cough. So it is a, it like, to be fair, I might be in that number. But having said that, it's mainly because I choose to spend my money elsewhere. Obviously, I don't have unlimited money, but... You know, as as I've said, I'm in Marseille right now. So, you know, obviously I, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure you can argue your case for poverty. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, just because I didn't use any much heating last winter doesn't mean that I'm in poverty. But um, say like, I don't know, 15 times a year. Yeah, my passport's pretty, pretty well stamped. I will say that. But uh, I paid you. yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, for me, it was it's not poverty because it's a choice. You know, we, we decide, you know, we want to spend our money on other things. If that means sitting on the sofa with three duvets and two hoodies on, then that's uh, that's the way we do business. Oh, very well. Now, back to the more serious note. So how JRF defined poverty? So 14 million people can't simultaneously pay their rent and buy the essentials for their children and heat their homes which is is shocking considering you know we have a gdp of some three trillion dollars or whatever you'd think how wealthy a nation we are that should be the case for so many people yeah i mean it does beg the question like where where does our tax money go because like you know, in terms of healthcare, we don't get dental or eye services, whereas in a lot of countries in Europe, like France, they do. And on top of that, when you think about like, so children's nurseries, like 
you know, you, you're going to be paying in England like a thousand pounds a month on average for a children's nursery per child. But, you know, in France and most European countries, that's just provided for by the state. So, you know, where where are all our tax tax money going? That's the question. I'm sorry, but how much does a nursery cost per week? So the average cost of childcare in the UK for children under two is £140 per week or £260 per week full time, which is, you're right, £1,000 a month. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy expensive. I always thought nursery was free. You know what, mate? I did too. Obviously, none of us are at that stage, but uh, from an article I read, it's not. It's a big factor for life planning because uh yeah you're going to be shelling out you know what would basically be half my salary on uh on childcare, which is which is very cool very cool I mean, i'm not surprised everyone's in poverty now that's almost the price of sending your kid to like a private school or something exactly i mean that 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 is that is absolutely insane and on top of that like we pay a huge amount of uh council tax as well i think my council tax is like I don't know, 1.2 to 1.8, something like that per year. Whereas in, um, you know, in in France, you'll pay to have your rubbish taken out and you'll pay for sort of home insurance as a renter and your landlord will pay the sort of like council style tax. Whereas in the UK, because the rich love to stay rich, we love to keep the poor poor, it's on the tenants to pay the council tax. So I think they've definitely got that the wrong way around. Yeah, that is quite a stark contrast, actually, isn't it? How the council tax is pushed onto the tenants in the UK, but in France, it's the the landlords that have to that have to bear the weight of that extra cost. So that is one of many ways that France has a better quality of life, I suppose, than the UK in renting. Another way, which I've probably talked about before but is the cost of train tickets in the UK compared to France. Now, the French government, they do subsidise trains and it's not that great for their economy because, you know, it's very expensive them subsidising trains. But so, for example, it was probably three years ago now, but I took the train, not just some standard 60 mile an hour one that you get in the UK. It's like 170 mile an hour uh, train from Marseille to Paris. Now, the journey is about the same as London to Edinburgh, but it cost me, think about 40 euros. It's about 30 pound. Whereas to do that journey, the equivalent length in the UK, you're talking a hundred pound absolute minimum. Yeah, with a, I mean, with a rail card, that's probably gonna be 80, I reckon, 70, 80. It is, and their trains go so much faster. Yeah. You know, 325 kilometers an hour, they are absolutely flying. Whereas we are poodling along on sort of 35 year old trains. It's it's a stark contrast and they're bigger as well. I mean, I got on a train in France recently and it's like, I thought it was going to be a double decker because it's got so much. It's because our infrastructure is so ancient. Our water systems are ancient. Our railways are ancient. Our tube system in London's ancient. And it's why, and so everything has to be so much smaller. It was made for, you know, 10 million people. And now there's what, 70, 80 million people in the UK. Yeah, well, remember last year staying on the train thing when when you and I we went down to the south of France to visit and place, and we had that double decker train, didn't we? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's although to be fair, so I recently went from Nantes in the northwest of France to Quiberon, which is like a little seaside town. I think that was twenty six pounds, which for what I think it took it's about two and a half hours of trains, which is I mean that's not bad considering like in Somerset I'll go from Taunton to Tiverton, okay, it's a ten minute train and it's twelve pounds, okay, you're paying over a pound a minute to sit on the train, which I found insane. I asked one of the ticket guys, he's like, oh it's because you're crossing a county border. I was like I didn't know counties were that independent that you had to pay a toll. To cross a, a county border in England. Yeah, I've literally, uh, literally never heard of that before. Crossing a county border—that's that's, that's yeah. the rising price. Mm. It's nuts, isn't it? It's not the woeful job of privatisation. It has nothing to do with that. Nope, you cross no. from <laughs> Somerset. That's what did you, mate? That's what did the. Uh, I bring my passport for, for God's sake. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. So we've got trains. The rent is not. <laughs> Good here either. I'm trying to think what else is terrible. There's just very. Oh. Before we move on, it's time for an ad break. Today's episode is brought to you by UX Torches, providers of high efficiency LED military grade aluminium body torches. They're waterproof and long range, also perfect for outdoor activities such as hiking and camping. Or if, like me, you only need it to take your bins out at night time, order today at uxtorches.com. The letter U, the letter X, torches.com. This is terrible. This is just very... Oh, car parking, right? I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about the uh, traffic wardens. That, like, meanwhile, ha- right, half our shops and all our high streets are closing down. Yeah, mm. you get, like, a £60 fine if you leave your car on the wrong street for sort of 30, 30 minutes to nip into a shop. And the way it works in the UK is the local councils have um, subcontracted all of these parking uh, officers and, and the parking sort of enforcement to all of these private companies that are meanwhile, they're reaping in billions of pounds a year in fines on, you know, just these innocent uh, residents looking to prop up their local economies. But it's so counterintuitive. And yes, I've had an awful lot of fines from parking tickets. So I am slightly biased on this matter. But like our car parks in general, right? If you want to park in Bristol Airport, how much do you think it costs for a week to leave your car there? I know airports are just like the most ridiculous thing. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say eight hundred pounds. Well, we might have to cut here because I don't actually know, but I'm gonna research it quickly. Bristol okay. Airport one week parking. Right. Action. So Bristol car park, long stay car park for six days 160 pounds to park your car there whereas there's this airport in northern spain called girona airport and you can leave your car at the airport it's similar size airport actually to bristol it's not like one of the major ones in the country you can leave your car there for a week i think it's like 30 euros 30 or 40 euros so about 25 30 quid for a week now obviously our economy is different to the spanish economy right our mm. wages are higher, but they're not sort of six times higher or five times higher, are they? So why is our parking five times more expensive than the, what the Spaniards get? I don't know, mate. I don't know. I mean, that that is insane. But I can't complain about, like, I can't complain about roads, about cars and roads in the UK, because for one, the motorways cost nothing. You know, if you want to drive across France, you're going to rack up, like, 
I don't know, 80, 90, 100 euros in tolls, which is which is pretty crazy. And then in terms of like, I mean, I know Marseille is an extreme example, but the traffic here is unbelievable. You know, people are rude, beeping. You cannot park anywhere. It's insane. Like my girlfriend has to park at a tube station and then get the tube into town because it's just ridiculous. You can't park anywhere. Whereas like generally the UK, the roads are civilized and I think parking's getting worse, but I still think it's, it's, it's better. Like generally our road system's pretty good and not too confusing. Like Marseille is just like roundabout. It's just, it's just tunnel, roundabout, tunnel, roundabout, and you miss your turning. It's an extra 15 minutes on your journey. I find it to be an absolute nightmare. Whoever, I don't know, whoever designed the traffic system in Marseille, there's a place in hell for them because, frankly, it's it's a nightmare. I'm sorry, this is a very complaining episode. You've, I hope the viewers are in a sort of the, the listeners are in a mood to hear a lot of complaining because that's what's going on. Okay, well, it's funny you mentioned the roundabout thing because do you know France have the most roundabouts in the world by quite some margin. So there are an estimated, would you want to guess how many? Oh, I, I know a roundabout literally just got installed two weeks ago by my girlfriend's mum's house. I'm going to say... Well, that's one more. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 10,000 roundabouts. That's quite a lot. No. There are an estimated 320 million roundabouts in France. That's not about true. That's ridiculous. About that's insane. It's about 60 times more than the country with the second most. That is literally insane. That is crazy. They love it. They love a roundabout. Yeah, France has the most roundabouts in the world. 65,000 roundabouts. That is ridiculous. Mate, that is insane. That is insane. Why do, they, why do the French love a roundabout so much? Uh, why do the French love around? I don't know. Maybe it reminds them of the shape of a pastry and that makes them happy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. That is bizarre, though. But yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, they've got I mean, the landmass of France is so much bigger than the UK. So they, <coughs> sorry. So they've got, you know, a huge country, which means obviously you get a much bigger house. Uh, there's far more roads. And so, you know, they're going to have a few more roundabouts, I suppose. Oh, oh, I'm glad you mentioned houses because that brings us on to one of the only other topics we actually we bothered to do some research for. And then we we're <laughs> going to talk about this episode, which is house size. So I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently because when they say like things that determine quality of life, considering mm. we spend a large portion of our time in our own homes, living in our homes when we're not at work, you know that surely has a big impact on quality of life. And so just to give some context, I found on this website called Shrink That Foot Footprint. I mean, I guess it sounds kind of reliable. So this was a UN consensus actually, where they've got these figures from. That and it's yeah, it it's a comparison by nation of countries' home sizes by square feet. So the United States, the average home size is 2,160 square feet, whereas the UK's is 820 square feet. Now, obviously, the US is richer than us, but the French have got 1,200 uh, square feet, the house size, and 
even like the Greeks have got 1,350 square feet, their home size. So they're some sort of, you know, I can't do the percentages right now, but even the Greeks have got considerably larger houses than us. And do you not find that's just a bit odd considering how wealthy a nation we supposedly are? Yeah, we, yeah, it's, I've, I mean, I've lived in, I lived in a sort of two up, two down house in Edinburgh and it was absolutely tiny. Like the width of the whole house was probably like, I don't know, six meters max. And like, you know, living in a sort of terrace street with the neighbors just staring at you all the time, you know, like not having any privacy in your own garden. Like I know a lot of people have grown up that way. Personally, I haven't because we lived in the countryside. But like for me, it massively reduced our, my quality of living. Just constant, you know, cramped, thinking everyone can hear you. It's, you know, I know it's the reality for most people. But, um, you know, I, I suppose the question is how much of that is choice? Because, you know, a lot of people choose to move to cities. We do have, you know, so, you know, you can, you can move to Northumbria. You can move to the north of England and Scotland and have a lot more space. But you know, are we just an incredibly social nation? You know, do we love to live close to our neighbours? Or, I don't know, are we all stuck in, in crappy tiny housing? It's, it's, it depends. I mean, do people I in England not care? I don't know. I mean, I think we do care. I think it's something to do with, we are quite a densely populated country, given our population and the size of the country. Usually. But yeah, so you just don't have the space I mean, unsurprisingly, you know, the US is enormous and Australia is enormous and they have huge houses. So it does make sense to an extent. But like, I don't know, like the population density of Greece, but surely we should be living in bigger houses than this. We're is sort it, of bottom it, of the pile, sorry. not quite bottom it, of the pile. Hong Kong's it, much smaller and so is Russia and Italy is about the same size, but even they're a little bit bigger. Is it house size or is it uh, house and garden? It's house size, average square feet of the houses. Yeah, it's not even that we just got small gardens. We just actually do live in tiny houses. Uh, I, I could think that, you know, living in a more northern climate, you know, like if you live in a southern climate and you live in a tiny house, it's oppressive. You know, the heat is insane. It's stuffy. You know, it's a little bit grim. I suppose maybe living in a slightly more northern climate uh, means that a smaller house is is, is slightly better. Perhaps but, uh, it also rains more where we live, so we have to stay inside for longer as well. On the other hand, <laughs> exactly, that's another great point. Like exactly, like we, we as a nation, we probably spend more time indoors than 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 most other countries because of our weather. And uh, yeah, that just doesn't. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm struggling to to explain why this is the case to be honest i you know and while we have a, a good reputation for quality of living yet we all live in tiny houses i am struggling to find a good explanation for this uh, i mean you touched on it then i kind of bring us on to another point of why i'm not sure our quality of life is that good and that is the weather now our, our english summer you know is a bit like french trains sometimes it just doesn't turn up and this year it, <laughs> And up like we did not have much of a summer this year it rained all of july and then august it was raining most of the time and then we had about a week's worth when it would like be 25 degrees sunshine burn you a bit and then it would rain a bit on the same day um that can't help i think that's why everyone drinks so much in the uk 
It could be. It could be. It also could be why we have a decent economy. I mean, I'm not saying this is true, but, you know, if it's constantly cold outside, it's constantly raining, you think, you know what, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to actually work hard today because there's nothing else to do. Whereas if you're in a more southern climate, you know, sun's out, you go, well, you know what, I don't really care. I can, you know, if, uh, if I lose my hundred euros today, you know, I, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just relax. You know, the sun's out. You've already got a high quality of living when the sun's out. So you, relatively speaking, you don't need as much money to, um, to feel, to feel wealthy because, you know, sitting, sitting even in a small garden in the sunshine is, uh, is, is worth something to, to a lot of people. For sure, for sure. Now, I think the culture, right, in terms of us being relaxed, maybe the weather definitely like, does play a part in that. Because, for example, where my parents live in basically the central Pyrenees, which is in the south of France, you see in our local town, like these couples, they just sit outside front of their houses in a plastic chair and they'll just sit there all day. They just they don't even necessarily have a nice view they just sit by the road and they just watch the traffic go by watch the people walk by and they just look really content so you know maybe you don't I've have to go up the to these, in the same thing in maybe you don't have to visit these meditation centers in like north india and the himalayas just chat to these people because they they seem to be pretty content and i just i don't really see stuff like that happening in the uk very much no, I think I think you know we it's it is a faster pace of life. That I mean, one of the good things about England is generally if someone says they're going to be there, you know, I think people are generally better at timekeeping in England. I I definitely think that's true. But I think you know we I don't know we want that higher quality of living. We want to work hard. We want the hustle and bustle. We don't seem to be content with just sitting outside and enjoying the moment, you know, eating an apple and just going, damn, that's a nice apple, you know, and just, you know, I, I lived in Italy for, I don't know, 10 weeks and I felt so healthy afterwards because it's just a slower pace of living. It was in like Southern rural Italy. I mean, it was really hot, but it was just like a slower pace of living and it felt like so good for my health, so good for my mental health. And in England, I think we just get caught up a lot in, um, you know, trying to get money, trying to buy stuff. But at the same time, like, you know, getting money and buying stuff is very cool. So, you know, you know, like we sit indoors on the Internet in our tiny houses and we find like a little watch or a new phone. And you go, yeah, I want that. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard. You know, and I think I don't know, maybe we're a less contented nation. But I think that makes us work harder and uh, possibly that's, you know, well, it's, you know, it's got pros and cons, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I do think there's something we could learn a lot from, whether it's the Italians or the French. And it is about being more content. And I mean, how do you feel, Tom? Are you content with life or do you feel the pressures of being a young man in today's society with social media and everything especially living in london do you feel the need to you know you got to work hard you've got to get that big house you've got to get all these items got to get that new watch uh yeah i would say i'd say i do feel the pressure but i'm a goal-oriented person like i don't like to be uh starting to feel like a job interview now <laughs> i don't like to be uh I don't like to be doing nothing, you know, I, I don't like to be doing nothing because it, it makes me crazy. But having said that, like when I lived in Somerset through COVID, I had a bunch of projects going on, you know, I was building a van and I was 
I was very happy doing that. Uh, so I can I can make myself contented even if I don't have a, a job where I'm just grinding the whole time. Um, but I don't like doing nothing. Definitely. I like to I like to always be building something, always working towards something 100 percent. Very good. What about you? Am I content? Probably not, to be honest. And I'm not really sure why either. But I, I think it's just because where I live is very peaceful where I live at the minute. But it's quite isolated. Like I'm very isolated. My sort of nearest friend is over an hour's drive away. And so I'm reading this biography about this amazing woman at the minute called Gertrude Bell. And she travels all through um, Arabia, what used to be formerly the Ottoman Empire. So through bits of Turkey, Syria and what is now modern day Iraq. And she would go on these amazing journeys of sort of like she'd be months away, months and months away at a time. Wow. And even though she was with people, she wasn't necessarily with English speaking people. So she couldn't mm. relate in quite the same way. And she she mentioned loneliness as just being this sort of low aching pain. And I think I kind of get that a little bit at the minute because I am just so isolated where I live due to my work and things. So got a bit deep there. Although to yeah, be fair, no, no, I, no, I get that. I mean, being in France, you know, I barely speak the language. So I, I can I can I can sort of, yeah, you feel like you're on a little island sometimes. I can uh, I can definitely agree with that. But. I don't know. You've got to use it to be. I mean, if you take the analogy of someone in the gym, as soon as you're sat, as soon as you look in the mirror and you're satisfied, what's the point in going to the gym anymore? You stop working, you know, like there's I mean, it's. I don't think it really applies, but there's something, you know, never being satisfied will drive you on. But um, yeah, I think with loneliness, it's it's you know, you can be around people and still be lonely. Loneliness is 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 a state of mind, I believe, rather than uh, sort of, you know, physical isolation, if you will. Um, so it's 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 a matter of I don't know, it's a matter of perspective. But um, well, yeah, you're not like a typical English person then you're uh, you're not, you know, boxed up in a in a metropolis no 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 i'm not at all actually um that's sort of the pros and cons i suppose of living where i live am i drawn to london the hustle and bustle the savagely expensive rent yet you get that energy of being around people yeah i think i do miss that and it's a weird thing with uh, being in the city so like yesterday when i was driving back from cricket i just went and walked through bristol on my own as I was driving on my way home. And there is something about being around loads of people. It gives you this extra energy for life, which when you're thinking, oh, I need a good diet, I need to exercise to get energy for life, you often kind of miss the side of it. Well, I do. Oh yeah, I'm one of those people as well. Like if I wake up in the morning and I've got no one there, if I, if I had to work from home, I would never be motivated. Like I need to go into an office, see that everyone else is working. And then I'm like, okay, I can do a bit of work. Like left to my own devices at home. I mean, the same thing happened today. My girlfriend went off to work and I just literally looked at suits on the Internet and watched TV for like two and a half hours because I was like, unless I see other people working, it's, you know, it's it's very hard for me personally. To, I'm not one of those people that can just like get up and I can sometimes if I really have something I need to do. But uh, definitely like being around people is a huge, huge motivator, huge it really gives us this energy for life. Whereas out here where I live at the minute, life is rather slow paced. Now, that is quite brilliant, though. So I'm doing this 
episode down by the river at the minute and a man's on a stand-up paddleboard that's just gone by and he's got a Dalmatian also stood on it with him. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the kind of thing you just don't say. I mean, I mean, what have I seen in the city? I've seen a, a car with a with a door removed, but uh, driving along. But there, anyway, I I digress. I digress. Well, should we summarise what we what we feel like we've learnt today? What have, what have we learnt today? Uh, we've learnt that not necessarily having a better economy means a better quality of life. Yes. We've learned that uh, being... If, if which city and which country you're flying to is not dictated by your preference of holiday destination, but the price of car parking, then fly to Girona in northern Spain, not Bristol. Exactly. That's, that's a huge lesson for the day. That's a huge lesson. Consumer advice there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there is. I think, you know what, I'm going to because I used to be a teacher. I'm going to uh, do a classic clever teacher's answer and say, look, look, you, you take out of this what you need. I'm not going to tell you any lessons. OK, you learn your own lesson from what's happened today. You know, it's like uh, when when I was a teacher, I didn't know the answer. I would just throw it straight back to the student. I'd be like, um, so what's your opinion you know, on, on, on the question? Or I'd throw it to the rest of the class. Does anyone else have an opinion on, on the question that's just been asked? And that's basically me saying, I do not know what to say. <laughs> seeking help. Very good. Hopefully some of the listeners can think about the average house size, because I don't think that many people are aware of quite how small our houses are compared to the rest of Europe and the rest of the world that are developed nations. And I think there's a real, these sort of information barriers that we assume should have been broken down with the introduction of the internet and the sort of freedom of, of information normal people have access to now. Like mm. we do just rely on like the sort of, whether it's Sky, The Times, BBC, these sort of five or six sort of oligopoly of uh, media's outlets for oligopoly, word of the day. Big word that big words economic word economic word for sort of like five when an industry is dominated by sort of like five to ten players. It, so I think it is like the older generation that rely on these more so, but still, like the media, they don't discuss these things as much, do they? No, they don't. I mean, do your own do your own research. Having said that, I think after COVID, with a lot of more people working at home and a lot of more people trapped at home during that period, obviously everyone was like the uh, the value on space and land, I think, has been realised by the public in general um, in the last what three, two, three years now. And as a result, I think like um, the property market in the countryside is definitely going up. You know, people have realised that actually like working is less important to them. I think there was a there was. It was something like this. Um, the question was, would you rather have an extra sort of days holiday per year or a, or no, an extra three days holiday per year or a sort of, I don't know, an extra eight, nine hundred pounds, thousand pounds a year. And most yeah. people would now say I'll take the time off because yeah. I think we value we're starting to learn as a nation that actually just, you know, having a bit of space, having a bit of time is, is more important than uh, than earning as much money as possible and, and, and grinding all the time. I think, you know, that we're starting to move that way as a country uh, and just become a little bit more relaxed. For better or worse, we will see. I'm sure the politicians at the top will try and mess things up as much as possible, but uh, we'll all do our best. 
Very good. And on that optimistic note, we should bring it to an end. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. This one, short and sweet, reasonably well researched. Well, I'll let the uh, I'll let the critics critique it, not me. But uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Oh. The Many Things Podcast.